Welcome to Coaching Conversations, a weekly discussion of topics related to coaching and the sport of volleyball at all levels. I'm your host, John Foreman, author of the CoachingVB.com blog and co-developer of the Volleyball Coaching Wizards Project. Let's dive right in. Welcome to episode 26 of the podcast, half a year in, uh, which on the one hand seems kind of crazy. On the other hand, seems, I guess, maybe kind of crazy in a different way. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of amazing that it's been six months already, but that it's seems feels like it's been longer than six months. I don't know. It's been a weird year. I think we can all agree with that. Anyway, so uh, topic for today's conversation uh, with Mark Lebedew, who you will probably know from a lot of other conversations, and I'll put links and whatnot into the show notes. But uh, Marcus was a frequent contributor to uh, the original Coaching Conversation series. You can always check out his website at marklebedew.com. Again, I'll, I'll link to that as well. He, uh, he and I are also partners on the Volleyball Coaching Wizards Project, uh, which includes uh, a bit of a series of podcasts as well. And I'll also link to that in the show notes. So lots of material that Mark and I have collaborated on over the years. Um, not surprisingly, this conversation kind of wanders around a bit because that seems to happen anytime Mark and I are, are in conversation together. But the starting point of it is the idea of player greatness, how a player becomes great, not just good, but reaches the level of being great. And it was motivated by a question I received from one of my players who has aspirations to eventually go professional. Uh, so I thought it would be a good uh, topic of discussion for Mark since he's had obviously experience in a lot of professional leagues, uh, as also as well as being the, the head coach for the Australian men's national team and working with guys that presumably had aspirations of, of being great players. Uh, however you want to define that, that's, and that's, you could probably say is a little bit of a, an open question right there. Um, <clears throat> so I think it'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, I'd be really curious to hear what your own thoughts are in this regard after you take a listen. Um, uh, uh, the things that we didn't bring up that should be talked about agree, disagree with uh, what, what we had to say. Um, just as a quick personal update, I'm kind of in a holding pattern right now, trying to, uh, not trying to, but waiting to find out what my next week is gonna bring. It's uh, April 4th as I record this, and yesterday was supposed to be the end of the regular season for the Madai men, but on Friday we found out my assistant coach uh, had, a, had a positive COVID test. So that shut us down, which means we obviously couldn't play yesterday. Uh, tonight, we all have to test um, for contact tracing purposes to, you know, to get that sorted out. But even if we all come back negative, um, it's still the protocol that you're shut down for 10 days. The one ray of potential hope is that uh, my assistant, after he got his, his rapid test positive, also took the, the, the PCR test, the quote-unquote formal test. Uh, so we, we're waiting to get the results on that because if he, that comes back negative, which is not likely, but positive. I mean, there are false, false negatives that do happen with the rapid test. But if it comes back negative, the conference has said, we will play the match that we didn't play yesterday uh, on this coming Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. Uh, and I was a little surprised when my AD told me that. I was like, well, you know, I'm, it's going to be right up against the start of the conference tournament. And normally they have a rule against uh, how close the last match can be to the start of the tournament. Uh, of course, this year, most of those sorts of rules are, are out the window anyway, so whatever. Uh, and in this case, we were going to be playing against the other team with basically the same record as us. We're currently five and one in conference play uh, for both. And this match was going to decide the two and three seed. So no matter what, we would play each other in the semifinal um, because we'll both obviously still say, stay in the two and three. And then one has already been decided and four was actually decided yesterday. 
So those those fixtures would already be locked up. The the reason that matters is because the two seed hosts that semifinal. So clearly the result of us playing the match that we were supposed to play yesterday would have decided if we were hosting it or uh, if we were going to have to go back again. Uh, so we'll see how that all works out. Again, like I said, the odds are great that this happens, uh, but at least there is some possibility because otherwise I feel really bad for the guys. I mean, I've, clearly they were gutted when I had to give them the news. Uh, and actually, even the, the coach, uh, of, it was Geneva that we were getting ready to play yesterday. Even he was kind of gutted that we weren't going to be able to play yesterday because uh, he was kind of looking forward to it. So, you know, it's a terribly abrupt way to kind of cut off your season. And one of the guys was even asking, can we have like one last practice? And we'll have to see if that's possible. Uh, but it's been a year of uncertainty. Uh, we're right back in the middle of it again. Uh, hopefully things work out. If not, obviously really disappointed. But the guys still had their, their best season for a Madai men's volleyball team in five years, both in terms of uh, first overall winning record since 2016 and best conference record since 2016. And 2016 is the last time the team won the conference and they went undefeated in doing so. That was the, the fifth out of five in a row uh, at that time. So not a bad accomplishment for a squad of nine three of whom are mainly Libros and defensive specialists. Uh, but I'll, you know, in next uh, in the next episode's update, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know how that went. Um, and we'll see how it goes. In the meantime, let's get back into the, the podcast mode and, and have a listen to what Mark and I talk about in terms of uh, how players can be great. All right. Enjoy. All right. Um, just to provide the, the people in the listening world with the pretext for this conversation. Uh, I had a message from one of the guys on my team. I'm not going to say which one, but uh, people might be familiar with it. So he texted me, this was a couple of weeks back, and asked basically, what do I need to do to be able to compete at the top level? How do I rise above? I want to be great, honestly, not just good. Um, this is a guy who does have aspirations of being able to play beyond college and university, um, professionally, whatever that might entail. So I figured you've obviously been in this situation with guys in the national team with Australia and also younger guys at, at your clubs that you've been at. So I thought it'd be something that you've actually specifically addressed when it comes to professional players. Um. Not sure that I had exactly that question before. Um, certainly, well, definitely people who have aspired to mm-hmm. higher things. Um, the When I hear the phrase, I don't just want to be good, I want to be great, it actually um, brings, brings to mind half a dozen uh, Michael Jordan quotes rather than anything I've heard <laughs> as a volleyball coach. So, um, so yeah, it's the... Uh, how do you want me to start? <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, just to, to I've, I've actually had a conversation with this guy and yeah. you can, you could spin off of this. The focus that I get, I had with him at that time. And in another circumstance, I might've had, I might've gone from a different direction, but I started with him by saying consistency in terms of effort and application and mentality. Um, you know, kind of with the idea that, hey, if you're if you plan to be a starter, you need to be consistently good in practice as you know part of your team. If you if you want to stay as a starter, once you get on the court, you need to be playing at a, a consistently high level. If you right. want accolades, you need to be performing consistently well for people to recognize those sorts of things. And obviously, if we're talking about trying to earn your way up the 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 performance ladder, so to speak, then you need to be consistently good every step of the way. Um, so that was where I started with it. Right. So he's, he's not actually a starter at the moment. No, no, he is. He is. Yeah. Um, might he not have been in certain circumstances if, if I had a deeper squad? 
possibly, you know, if, <clears throat> if, if the mentality wasn't right or, or whatever. Um, but it just so happens this, this year I have a thin squad. So <laughs> most, most of the guys are starters. <clears throat> uh, I, I, I mean, the basics of it, the basics of it are, are, are pretty clear. So one is, um, one is a commitment to, to being more, not just good. And the commitment to being not just good encompasses, um, a, a wide range of things. But, um, in the first instance, it's about, um, it's a physical and volleyball component. So the really easy things for, uh, not easy. None of it's easy. The, the things that an individual can take care of are the things related to their, uh, physical well-being, how they, uh, how they prepare, how they, uh, look after themselves, um, eating, how they do their weight training, how they do their, uh, recovery, uh, all of that stuff. And all of that stuff is, um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't require anybody else around. That doesn't require, um, um, that doesn't require coaching in a sense either. That's the, that's your individual commitment to yourself. So I, I'd say that's the, uh, that's the first, the first thing. Okay. Yeah. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, the, I mean, I think one of the issues that you've got when you, when you're kind of addressing this sort of question is, do they actually understand where the next level is and what greatness actually looks like? Uh, well, no, nobody, nobody <laughs> really does. Uh, and probably people make some unreasonable assumptions about what greatness really is too. But um, I'm in this context, what it is, is, um, is, is a is a goal, and when you're doing something that takes you closer or further away from away from your goal, so we have that they're looking after the body part, um, well the physical the physical part, preparation part. Um, another thing is your uh, commitment to excellence. Um, so it's a it's. It, Great, great players have really high standards, um, and that's high standards in everything they do. That that first part, that uh, body part, physical <laughs> um, part, the, the the physical component of of uh, competition, uh, but in everything on the court. So the 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 that really high those really high standards that. Uh, great players hold of themselves uh, is the is the key is really the key component to performance, right? And that's uh, that was kind of the basis for why I was talking with him about consistency, yeah. because he is probably the most athletic guy on our team in terms of physical tools. Right. He's, he's not the biggest guy, yeah, but he jumps well. He's got a good arm. You know, those those sorts of as- mm-hmm. aspects to it. He, he seems to take care of himself pretty well. Now this is Division Three, so it's you know we don't have the time and and equipment access and other things that we'd have in another situation, Division One, Division Two, or in a professional team or anything like that. Yeah. So he's he's left more to his own devices in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, one of the things that I talked with him about in terms of the consistency was how he's interacting with his teammates and and. And working with them, because I had, I had very early on in training, I, I told them, I was like, hey, listen, we, you and I both know physically you're, you're the, the, the most athletic guy here. You need to be able to make the guys around you better if you want things to be better generally. So yeah. if you want the team to perform as well as it can perform, you need to help them do that and help yourself do that as well so it's not just yeah. a me thing although you know it's still a me thing <laughs> yeah sure always is yeah uh it it watching his development is, is interesting and he's he's 
he's a good player for us. He, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it falls out because uh, we've got one more match and then we'll have decisions on who makes the conference team and all that. There's another guy in the team who's currently at least one of the leading candidates for player of the year. He's a more experienced guy. And I actually had a conversation with him maybe a week or so ago about the mentality sort of thing and how he himself was kind of in a similar way. I, you know, I, I want to be great. I want to do really well, but it didn't click for him about, I got to show up every day and mm-hmm. I got to put in the work and I got to put in the effort and have the right mentality. Um, and, you know, those were his first two years in college and now he gets it. Uh, theoretically when yeah. he would normally be graduating, but he's got he's still got two more years of eligibility because of all the, the stuff with these last two seasons. Um, yeah. So what I need to do is get him talking with the other guy and say, hey, you know, it's kind of like that underclassman, upperclassman. How do we pass that wisdom along? Uh, yeah, that's a big part of it. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't limit myself to just the teammates who mm-hmm. are, um, uh, who have similar goals. So you know, if you're talking about being, if you're talking about being great. Then great is a is a, another level. It, it probably uh, doesn't exist in your uh, in your league in most leagues because um, greatness tends to sort of keep going, collect, keep being the next yeah, right. That's the next so, yeah. You know, uh, there there are ways there are ways to, to contact uh, to to be in contact with with those kinds of uh, those kinds of players, people at people at that level. Um, you know, there's, of course, there's all the, the books and, and, uh, you know, mumba, mumba mentality.com or, or whatever, whatever that is. Um, you know, that, that looks after at least the individual part, if Mm -hmm. if not the, the team part, but, um, uh, the, the real thing in the end is, is the high standards is to, is to hold, um, is to hold yourself to be great is to hold yourself to really high standards without ever having an excuse. And it's not, there's a, um, it's yes, there's, there's an element of, of uh, making your team better and, and some, some things like that. But the first instance before you can hold your teammates accountable or, or anything like that is to, is to hold yourself to really high standards. And the best way of making your teammates better is that every one of your contacts is a great contact. If it's the first contact, if it's the second contact, um, you know, when off the ball, if there's a word in volleyball, so how you defend, how you cover, how you, how you control the space around you is much more important than uh, covering other people, um, you know, doing things for them that doesn't make the that doesn't make the team right. better. I actually makes, literally had, yeah, yeah, it makes the team's wor- team worse in certain in certain ways. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I actually had that conversation with one of my uh, one of my Libros last week. I think it was. He was. He's he's got this really hyper aggressive mentality where he tends to chase around the court. And yeah. sometimes he's taking balls that are not his. Like in one match, he took a ball away from our setter on second contact. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I forgot that he was back there with me. Like he's, you're next to him in the rotation. He's going to be back there with you, two rotations. He's, what, what, what are you doing? And it's just, it was just, you know, he's so over enthusiastic. He just, he just wants to make plays, wants to make plays. And so I've, I've had to talk with him about, defensive responsibility and positioning and hey remember you're defending this part of the court he's defending this other part of the court you can't be saying well i'm going to cover for him because i see he's maybe not positioned exactly where he's supposed to be like well no now you're not positioned where you're supposed to be and the whole thing falls apart well, the other thing is, if you're watching where the other players position, then you're not watching. <laughs> uh, the I I had 
a really important conversation with with one of my liberos one time who is in my opinion one of the let's say five best liberos in the world and he his mentality and a lot of liberos have this mentality partly because coaches encourage them to do it which is to chase after the ball so your mm-hmm. job is the first contact so you have to get every first contact um which i think is is not the way to do things but so he would he would cover uh he would cover the the other receivers he was by far the better best receiver um he would be uh playing little mind games with the servers to you know, to try to, to get them to move around and to, mm-hmm. you know, force them to serve in different spots. Um, and eventually I, I thought with him that the thing that, that his teammates really needed for him from him was to be a great passer. So if he covered his area and was great in his area, then that was the thing that gave the that gave his teammates confidence. Right. So firstly, it means that if he's great in his area, the servers are really focused in on a different area, which means they tend to serve more easily. Mm-hmm. And this, the other thing is that you know, to, to play, guys have to, to contact the ball. They have to feel confident in what they're doing. So they have to actually play some balls, not right. avoid playing balls. Yeah. So, you know, by by his part of the court being an absolute bank, it really gave the other guys a lot more freedom and confidence to look after their part. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that it turned out. Now, I don't know. I'm actually not sure that that helped his career because <laughs> I'm, I'm actually serious about it because no, no, he, no, no. He doesn't have the reputation that guys, I think, that are, are at his level have, the other guys at his level have. And I'm, I'm thinking that one of the reasons is because he doesn't fly all the way around the court. Right. But he's an absolute bang in his part of the court and in, doing, in, in playing the game and organising the game and so on. Yeah, that's an unfortunate issue for Libros is you tend to get accolades for spectacular plays. When it is, uh, yeah, and from coaches, it's not even just from yeah. Spectacular. no, it's yeah, it's from everybody. It's uh, you know, and it, the mentality of um, you know, chase after the ball and you're responsible for every first contact and so on. It it causes so many breakdowns. It's to be, um, I think. Not the best way to do things. Let's put it yeah, like yeah, it's it's something that I've had to talk with my team about. Um, and, and going back to the point about the libro edging over to, because he doesn't think the guy next to him is in the right position. Well, if if you're constantly doing that, we never figure out that the guy next to you is in the wrong position and get him to fix it. So, well, there's that too. But in the in the context of the conversation about uh, greatness, greatness or yeah. firing to greatness. The point is that uh, the best way to be great is to be great, or the first part of being great is to be great at your stuff. Right. Your that your part of the of the game is absolutely spot on. You solve all the problems that you can solve in attack. Your first touch is really good. Your block is always disciplined. Um, so you know, I I think that's the that's the beginning part of greatness. Well, yeah, you actually just started right there. I was going to ask that question. What does <clears throat> what does greatness look like? This guy's an outside hitter, so let's let's talk about it from his perspective. Yeah. Um, what do great outside hitters do on the court? Uh, they they look after they look after their job first and foremost. So, not everybody's a great passer. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. within the role, but uh, they, but all great outsides are focused on being as good a passer as they can be, covering the area that they, they have to be. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that they're, uh, they're really good in attack in whatever 
again within their um, within their capabilities. So if a, if there's a player who's a, a really good uh, with big power, for example, then he's scoring a lot of points. He's managing situations that aren't perfect. Um, well, taking the appropriate risks. Sometimes, actually, a lot of times, the greatness is the uh, is the ability to take is to take appropriate risks. So the the really the really best players, the you know the kind of um, uh, stereotypical clutch shooters who who wanted to shoot the last shot, um, you know those they when you have to take a risk in a big moment to ta- to make a point. I shouldn't use the word risk. If, when you have to make a shot, um, when you have to make a shot to make a point, you actually make the right shot rather than uh, take the half-assed uh, no error option. So. You know, that's, that's a big part of it, accepting responsibility of the role. If you're more of a receiver, then perhaps your responsibility is to, um, is to try to gain advantage in that situation rather than to try to score a point. So maybe you're trying to, uh, maybe the receiving outside is trying to recycle using the block or is, uh, you know, is trying to chisel a block out or, or something like that. So, um, so understanding what it is that that you're really good at and and uh, maximizing maximizing that is is a big part of it. Just uh, for listeners, uh, the reason I chuckled when Mark wanted to walk back the term risk is because just within the last week, you literally had a, a blog post or a couple of blog posts related to that very subject and how I you didn't, didn't. They didn't like to use that term. Well, that's it's such a um, standard part of the volleyball lexicon that I find myself using it all the time, but um, but I I actually hate the I hate the term. Yeah, and I, it was uh, as we record this. I had a match last night with my guys, and and it was against. It was not the one we had before. That uh, you know, we 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 played both the bottom teams in the league this week. Neither yeah. of them has a full roster for different reasons. Um. In the first one, we had 25 aces or 26, depending on who's doing the counting. I guess Volumetrics counted one more than our stack guy did, so whatever. Uh, and the second one, we only had four. But we had, I don't know, 16 kills a set or something like that, I don't know, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I, But I talked with the guys during the match last night because in the second set, they made, to my mind, what are basically stupid errors. They hit the ball out of bounds when they were in positions where getting a kill was not a realistic prospect mm-hmm. with an aggressive attack. Perhaps yeah. with an off-speed attack, it, you know, if the circumstances were right or whatever, and somebody made a mistake, fine. But, you know, one guy's falling backwards because the set is too far off the net and he flails it out of bounds, you know, sort of thing. It's like, ah, come on. That's that's decision-making. That's making... I hope not our aspiring to be great guy. He did have one of them. Uh, not specifically that one, but the, all of my three main attackers had at least one, like, what were you thinking? Type yeah. swings. And okay, this is college, you know, Division Three. Th- that's going to happen every match. You just hope that you can work toward making yeah. as few of those dumb mistakes as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point, yeah, it's it's okay if we don't want to use the term managing risk. It, it could be more of a maximizing your your circumstances. What's the play from here that gives us the best chance of still winning this rally? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So, there we go. Hey, we got to work on it somehow. It's, it's, it's all it's, you know. It's coaching language. It's like even trying to, to get the people on my staff and on the team to talk about things in a in an action oriented positive way instead of the don't. Well, if you go to my if you go to marklebage.com, you'll find a, a webinar on communication <laughs> skills that will help you with that. As it turns out, yes, yes, there is one there. Uh, there one, there. one of these days I'll have to look at it. 
want to have a break. Today I'm going to be scouting. Yeah. Big match this weekend. Um, but yeah, all right, get it back on topic. So, uh, and definitely falling into the category of this is not something that, that speaks to being great or aspiring to greatness is, is reactions to, let's say, negative things in training. Uh, and one of my one of my beasts with this particular player uh, is that, especially in practice, he he. I, I mean, obviously, he realizes in the game I need to do something with his ball. But there's a lot of times in practice where if the set isn't there, the timing is wrong, or location isn't right, he he effectively as a, an attacker shuts down and just hits the ball in the net, or you know, rockets it out of bounds, or doesn't take a swing on it, or and I know. Pretty sure you've had, you know verbalized your own feelings on when attackers do this sort of thing, um, but yeah, it's one of those things that he needs to fix. Well, it's that's a, that's a pretty easy conversation because that's not the action of greatness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you told me this is what you want to do. This right. is. Do you think this is the uh, is this is an appropriate? Uh, activity for somebody with those goals right if he says yes then you can say um <laughs> i think you i think you need to revisit a few different things and if he says no well you know the conversation yeah. that's the end of the conversation yeah so so are you going to do the things that you say you're about or are you going to do things that are not going to take you where you want to go I, I once went to a uh, presentation by some strength and conditioning coaches for a rugby league team in Australia, and they uh, they they said that they recorded every conversation they had with a player, and the the reason being that um, they would then be able to use the player's words. I'm pretty sure they said against them, but. Uh, <laughs> But in a motivating way. Yeah. Uh, you, you promised us that this was your goal mm-hmm. and these are your words. So, um, I'm not proposing recording conversations because quietly confident it's illegal. Well, if they don't know it, yes. Yeah. yeah, and actually there was a coach in the U.S. who got fired for recording his meetings with players without them knowing it. Now, yeah. it was just... I, uh, you know, apparently an ignorance sort of thing. I didn't realize this is against the law. Um, so probably not a career ending sort of thing. Probably got a job somewhere else. But mm-hmm. I, when I was coaching at Midwestern, um, any player meetings that we did, there were always two coaches. There was the head coach was there, and either myself or the other assistant was there. Same principle, yes. Yeah, and and especially if it, if it was like end of season evaluation or one of the more serious, let's talk about how we want to get you to where you're going. There were notes taken yeah. and signed off on by the players from, yeah, okay, this is exactly what we talked about. And so everybody's, you know, because the, I, you know, I'm sure you can, you can support this, but there are a lot of times where players come along, come away from a meeting with an entirely different interpretation of events than the uh, ones you had as a coach. I think the word you're looking for is always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, it's I've had players say, Well, you said this. I'm like, those words literally would never have left my mouth. I don't even use that language. I'm like when the, the worst the worst one is when they quote you correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you said this. Oh, okay. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, well, like you said, it's it's all in the communication. Um, just communication two sided is a little yes, piece. two sided, well, or multi sided, as the case may be, since we are in a team sport. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're essentially talking about a young guy who's he's you know college. Well, <laughs> obviously, in the states, we have a different perspective on who's a young guy. And who's a, a, a young professional? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that you've dealt with coaching in Europe have been roughly the same age as the guys that I'm dealing with right now, right. late teens into their early 20s. Uh, but the perspective is quite different. 
is they're not your guys are not seen as developmental kind of um as people as perhaps as athletes because they're still relatively young athletes but as people as college age kids are here in the states we still see them as because they're students we see still see them as kind of like sub adult in some ways does that make sense um yes but um I'm sure if you had your time again, you'd think of a different way to describe it. <laughs> well, I was going to use quasi, but I was like, no, that's not really, that doesn't get it. They're in a 20 year old in uh, a 20 year old in a professional team or in a club team in Europe would be considered uh, firstly an adult and is considered a, a young guy, but not a junior. Right. So they're, they're at the point where they're either playing or they're not playing. So, um, you know, the, in some ways they're not considered human at all so, <laughs> or people at all, rather people are not human. Yeah. They're, they're players. Yeah. Whereas in the college environment, cause a lot of, a lot of people kind of look at it as a transitional thing yeah. from being a, a, in to use your language, a junior to being a, a fully formed adult, operating on their own in the world. Whereas, like you said, in the professional ranks, a 20-year-old, they're responsible for themselves. Uh, they're effectively a working adult in the in the working world. Well, a 20-year-old is already a professional. Yeah. So they're not aspiring to be professional. At right. 20, they're already there. Either professional or they're not going mm-hmm. to be professional. But speaking of people who are getting paid, Athletes Unlimited just finished their their season. Have you paid any attention at all beyond that first little flurry of what's the scoring system about? I was actually thinking about that this that very thing this morning because the first week I was I was intrigued and uh, when I because and then there was the list of the individual players the mm-hmm. leaders and I thought about how the uh, the game theory aspect of it. So right. when teammates are playing against each other, when um, when two thirds of the team have no chance to win, to win, what right, right? How do they react? How are the tactics? How the tactics develop? If a receiver is getting points for every good reception, um, you know, I don't want to ever give her the ball because I give her extra points. So yeah. You know, um, all of those things. And then from week to week, I noticed that the top four after the first week were the top four after the second, third, fourth, and fifth weeks. Um, so uh, they were all outsides and opposites. And you know, by the end, the, of the- I think there was one setter who snuck in there one week. Yeah. I was slightly surprised I, that. But uh, it's. If you actually, if you look at the scoring system, it's really, really, it's almost impossible. Yeah. I, I played around a little bit with the scoring because Ben's app um, gave us a chance to right. change the scoring. Yeah. And it changed, uh, if you gave two points for an assist instead of one, then you had, you suddenly had three setters in the top 10. So, so that made a, that made a difference, but um Basically, middles and middles don't touch the ball enough mm-hmm. to, to be there, and liberos don't score, and all the big, all the big, uh, um, the big point values of the scoring skills. So, right, right. So yeah, and, and isn't isn't it getting aced like a big negative? Yes, a big yeah, exactly. It's like it's a. Uh, Yes. Yeah, it's minus was minus twelve or something. Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the, okay, Jordan Larson is a fantastic player. She's won everywhere she's gone. So it's about the least surprising thing in the world that she ended up coming up on top just based on her ability and experience. Yeah. But yeah, the rest of it it was like, okay, yeah, I know you tried to make this as fair, but it never looked like it was now admittedly 
Did you probably, watch? I only I watched the first match, and after that, okay. I just was so, too busy with my own season. <laughs> the thing that would be of interest to me is is the game theory stuff. Is mm-hmm. how the is how the tactics evolved over the over the course of the the series. Um, you know, because I I, I know from I can imagine, and maybe I'm, maybe this is unreasonable, but I can imagine that um, that the players the first time round were, um, you know, happy to be playing and uh, you know just just competing, and because they hadn't played over a year, some of them probably, mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, and that the second season will be different. But I know, you know, the got. People I've worked with over the years, they would be from the first day would be trying to figure out a way to game the system. Yeah, and- we actually had a conversation on Weekly Buzz with two of the facilitators slash yeah. coaches, uh, and that topic came up. Is like, well, do you draft a person who is your competitor on points and then don't play them if you're one of the captains? Well, so they can't score any points that week. I mean, that's an obvious. That's an obvious one. Yeah. You know, the I one mean, risk, though, you you lose is you know, if that person can help you win, and putting on the bench causes you to lose, then there's a kind of a decision point there. Yeah. I mean, the, they they do the the drafting system for the NBA All Star game, mm-hmm. and. LeBron drafts the teams for he's he has a reason for drafting them for some yep. competitive future advantage. So right. you know, either he's either recruiting them for next season for his team or mm-hmm. he you know, it's an F U to somebody. <laughs> but, but well, it is. He he right. actually gave one like almost word for word. Yeah. This time around. So <laughs> Anything else interesting happening in the world of volleyball? Are they going to do VNL in a bubble? I heard that. Oh, do we know it. where? Uh, in Rimini. Rimini. It's in Italy. Okay. Any reason why they decided there? Just why Rimini? Because it's rel- relatively central, I suppose. Somebody paid for it, John. <laughs> naturally, naturally. <laughs> but that's why. <laughs> uh, oh, is there a club there, or anywhere, any one of, any of the bigger clubs in that area? I don't know the exact geography of it. No, I mean it's in somewhere in Italy, so this big clubs not far. I mean the. The the requirements are hotel spaces and gym spaces, so you know sure. training. So yeah. I, I don't know what the I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. All right. What are your expectations for the Olympics? That uh, the best team will win. <laughs> you know, people talk about the whole thing with no fans, no 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 external fans non-resident Japanese people going to the Olympics. Like in, in other sports, that might be a big deal. In volleyball, the Japanese love the sport, so they'll still fill the place as long as that's allowed. Um, one of the sad realities of uh, of volleyball is that most international volleyball is played more or less without spectators. So yes. It's yes. not a, uh, yeah, it, it won't be a strange, it wouldn't be a strange scenario but Japanese probably will go to volley will go to volleyball in reasonable numbers, um, and there are all there are tournaments in Japan every year. Mm-hmm. So yep. the, um, all of the teams, all the players are used to have experience of uh, of playing in Japan under Japanese conditions with only Japanese spectators. So yep. Yep. that that wouldn't be a that wouldn't be a big deal. And like I said, if there were no spectators at all, that would also be perfectly uh, normal. Makes me wonder, given the use of like crowd noise that the professional leagues have instituted over this last year, at least in their broadcasts, I wonder if 
the Olympics, the FIVB or any CEV, anybody is is thinking about that to liven up the, the streams of matches in those conditions. The basic way that the games have worked without spectators in the lockdown is that they do everything in the game presentation the same as normal. Mm-hmm. So they have a court announcer who advertise who who is exactly the same as normal. Right. Um, they play music at the same points. Uh, I suspect that they turn the volume up on that a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I've only done a few games, but basically um, I don't really notice any difference. So I don't know if it's because I've had so much experience with spectators. <laughs> But Probably, yeah. Once, once I'm in the, once I, at least me, once I'm in the game, then, yeah. uh, uh, then I don't really notice the difference. And there are famous situations where I have not known that they they turn the lights down during timeouts and stuff like that. Where I've watched the video afterwards and and said they they t- they dim the lights. Really, I didn't know. They have dancing. They have uh, cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting, uh, I guess, culture shock for me when when I went over because you guys had them at Berlin. Uh, the cheerleaders, yeah, yeah the, and the dancing stuff, and, and and it was my first like, wait, they do cheerleaders over here in Germany? What what's this about? This is kind of strange because you don't even really do it a lot in the U.S. I mean, I've seen it in a couple of places, but yeah, for volleyball. Well, we learned it from we learned it from Americans, so of course, of course. I don't know. I don't know. Um, what was this? Just thinking. Yeah, I mean, I there have definitely been situations where I've watched some of your international matches, and I could hear you on the mic. I mean, in the cavernous arena with nobody in it, I could hear you talking to your team through the mic that was actually over the opposing team that we were supposed to be hearing in the time, just because there was no... The the way that... The, the way that international volleyball works, basically, is that uh, different from other sports, particularly football, I guess, is that spectators don't travel in large numbers. Mm-hmm. And... and Wherever you go, the fans in that country watch their team and they don't have a big interest in anything else. Right. So in VNL, where you, where you have two matches every day, one involving the home team and one not involving the home team, it's normal, if not standard, that there are three or 400 people for the first game and eight or 9,000. Oh, okay. If we generous. <laughs> whatever on where you are game. so you know in yeah. australia 2000 for the first and 3000 for the second um so which is something different again but but basically you know they they file in after the first game finished and we i think in in one or two places we actually played the second game against the the fourth team and uh the fans would, wouldn't even stick around. So 9,000 would come to watch the home team and then they would leave the second the game finished. And yep. Yeah. Yeah, even even here, I mean, you can see from my background how small a gym that, that we play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we played on Monday night, the other the, I've only got nine guys. So there's yep. three on the bench. Right. We've got the work crew. Um but no spectators beyond that. The only the only spectators we we might have is an officials evaluator sitting in the stands, you know, watching yeah. the the R one or whoever. Um, the other team for both these last two matches has only had seven guys, so it's been okay. one guy on the bench plus the head coach. So there are times in the match where it's just dead silent. Like, whoa, okay. So they're not even allowed as practice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. Uh, fortunately, most of the teams in the league seem to have you know fifteen or sixteen guys. So at least they're screaming and yelling on their side. Uh, that kind of gets our our guys you know engaged and riled up. 
uh, and there's some there's some jawing and and talking. Uh, at least you don't get at least you don't miss that stuff. No, and actually the uh, our sports info guy who's been doing our matches he he made the comment after our one on on Monday night about how I couldn't trash talk about the other team because there was so little they would have heard me. <laughs> and he sits up you can see the track on the top he sits up on the track to oh, that's a, ah, okay yeah, I, that's, yeah. I I thought that was the space for the spectators there you go yeah well uh, it's also I mean you can't see it on here but if you're looking over my left shoulder yeah. there's bleachers not ah, they, a lot they, of them so yeah. we can only fit a, a you know a couple hundred yeah, uh, and actually, the way we're configured this year is our benches are on that are on that side, whereas yes. normally they'd be on the other side. But there's not enough space to do the requisite bench spacing over uh-huh. there, and yet we still have to have the score table over there because of the outlets and, and things like that. Oh, so really? we're in the unusual circumstance of the benches being on the same side as the R one. Uh, but isn't that normal in NCAA anyone? I'm sure that I saw that. I'm when I went to the final four. I'm sure I saw that because it was really weird. The bench is on the same side as the R1. Yeah, I've I don't recall ever seeing that uh, outside of unusual circumstances. Okay, but even the places that we've been elsewhere in the league, it's been normal because they've had just more room to set to set their stuff up. So, okay, covered for you. It does. Okay. It does make things. You know, if you're doing substitutions like last night, the R two couldn't see that the guys were going up to do a sub, so the R one was having to whistle to get her attention to do the sub. Like, uh, uh, just slows things down. But it also puts the head coach on the same side as the R one in case there's an argument. So there's no there's no shuttle diplomacy taking place with the captain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there you go. So, all right. Well, we can probably wrap, wrap this up here. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes on the website, coachingbb.com, for links to further information about this episode. You'll also be able to find the complete back catalog of prior coaching conversation. While you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list. Members find out in advance what conversations I'll be doing next and can submit questions if they like If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash coachingbb. Patrons get early access to every episode, as well as other special benefits along the way. I'm always interested in hearing what you think about coaching conversations and ideas you might have of topics and or guests for future episodes. You can send them to me at john at coachingbb.com, tweet them to at coachingbb, or hit me up on my Facebook page, Coaching Volleyball. All the best until next time.